Hi, I'm Sonia, a former NSA employee fallen on hard times. We're coming to you live from the Penta. Whoops, I've said too much. There'll be a knock on my door soon, eh? Oh well. Take it away, Mr. Showbiz! Thank you so very much, Sonia. It is rather cold and damp down here, I must, I must say, but I suppose that's the way that the big guy wants it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's wonderful to be back on the airwaves once again. This is the Sid Griffin Riffin' with Griffin All-Time Championship Bodacious Podcast back with you. I'm going to do a theme tonight. Uh, It's not going to be a Christmas theme. We're too close to uh, the holidays, and I don't know what everyone's religious affiliation is or if they've got one. Therefore, we will shift gears and do a show based entirely upon pop rock music acts that I have seen live and in the flesh. Now, that's a lot of acts, so obviously we're only going to do eight or nine tonight. Couldn't do the, you know, the 200 or whatever I've seen. Also, the ones tonight have been good. I thought an amazing show might be to see the, to do a show on the pop rock acts I've attended live performances of, who sucked. But no, we're going to just do the ones that were rocking and rolling in the broad daylight. I saw this first band four times. They were loved back in the day. They were laughed at back in the day. They were ridiculed back in the day they helped start were a key link in the chain of a certain music that begins with a p u n k and that's spelling it said that's not the first letter but the point of it is the new york dolls back in the day they were really something live really something live saw them four times that gives away my age and i look back at them now and i think Good Lord, what on earth were those guys, those guys thinking about? I'll let Mr. Johansson tell you. He's, he's a big fan of the Shangri-Las. There's a Shangri-Las quote in this. I guess Morrissey's used this quote. I won't use it. L-U-V. When I say I'm in love, you best believe I'm in love, L-U-V. Looking for a kiss Well, won't you tell me why most kids are moving so slow Is it that they just don't have a place to go When the day starts breaking, the sun is gonna shine It's hard to sleep if I'm in crying And all the old ladies, they're all on their way to church You go to church, I bet you will not be a lonely boy Cause I just got to make it down a power to miss If 
mama looking for a kiss When everyone's going to your house to shoot up in your room Most of them are beautiful but so obsessed with gloom I ain't gonna be here when they all get home They're always looking at me, they won't leave me alone I didn't come here looking for no fix Just looking for a kiss Just looking for a kiss. Yeah, you can hear punk rocks coming right up your street after that. 1973 Cream Magazine, as I recall, voted the first New York Dolls album the best album of the year and the worst album of the year. And I think next year, the Dolls came, when they came out with Too Much Too Soon, they were voted something like Biggest Disappointment. Or, you know, they act was voted biggest disappointment. They were quite a controversial thing. As I've said in an earlier podcast, Kiss, yes, Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Peter Chris, and I'm embarrassed to say I can name, what's the fourth guy? I can't think of the fourth guy. Anyway, the Kiss were a country rock band when they went and saw the New York Dolls back in New York and were so impressed with all the good looking women hanging around the New York Dolls at the Mercer Arts Center, they dropped their country rock act, got some makeup, and became kiss as in looking for a true story anyway new york dolls very inspirational of course johnny thunders uh, is in the news or is not in the news but uh many years after his 1991 death his two sons are in the news fighting over his estate yes true a man left four thousand dollars johnny thunders left four thousand dollars to his family he had two kids by his uh missus or partner perhaps and he had a, a, another woman he got pregnant in Sweden. So he had a Swedish offspring. He's got three kids. His sister, I can't remember her name, last name Gonzali, of course, took care of the estate and uh, parlayed the 4000 since 1991 into several hundred thousand dollars through the stock market. And now the, uh, the sister died in 2009 and she was doling out money from this uh, funds that she'd accrued from the original 4000 this Johnny Thunder's sister. She's dead as I said, and now they're the three kids that are left, the Swedish young lady and the two, Vito and Dino, are fighting over what money's left from Johnny. And it's funny, when I look back at the New York Dolls, not funny haha, as Snagopus would say, but as Snagopus would say, funny sheesh. One of the most amazing things is looking at the coverage, the film footage that Bob Grone shot and the, the shows that I saw, they were very much fun. It's hard to believe now, but they were fun. And Thunders was a, uh, he smiled a lot. Johansson smiled all the time. And by the time he got to Johnny Feathers and the Heartbreakers, I saw the dolls for the last time in 75 when Malcolm McLaren was doing the Red Patent Leather tour and the Communist flag and all that. And then I saw three and a half years later, I saw the Heartbreakers with Jerry Nolan, their drummer, and Johnny Thunders on uh, guitar, of course. And no, and they were just, certainly Thunders was a different guy. Sullen, didn't smile, didn't laugh. And I guess we know why that is. But they did kickstart a great rock and roll movement, which was carried on by a number of people, including this next band who had a song about Johnny Thunders called Johnny's Gonna Die. And by God, he did.
gets a couple breaks And everybody tells me that Johnny is hot Johnny needs something, but he ain't got And Johnny's gonna drummer Chris Mars was. He was not on the Replacements reunion shows. Just Tommy Stinson and the great Paul Westerberg, who's the writer and the singer and the guitar player. Of course, uh, Bob, Tommy's brother's deceased, no longer with us. And Slim, Slim's gone, isn't he? Yeah, the guy that replaced Bob, he's gone. But he did have two of the Replacements on the Replacements reunion tour. I wish he'd had Chris Mars, as I said. But he's a painter now. Anyway, that's Johnny's Gonna Die from their 1991 uh, uh, release, The Replacements. And I can't remember the name. Was It wasn't Stink, was it? I can't remember. Anyway, it's about Johnny Thunders. They're great. I guess the guy that gave them the template, that and the faces, the great template for The Replacements. Funny thing about The Replacements is, is they never really captured the R&B gene. When you saw, by this I mean rhythm and blues, when you saw, when I saw the New York Dolls, they did Otis Redding's Don't Mess With Cupid. They did that song Lone Star Queen, which was, uh, they never recorded that I remember, that I know of. And it was dedicated to uh, Janis Joplin, that, that Johansson written about Janis Joplin. And particularly Johansson, no, no, I still too, Sylvain Sylvain. He did uh, Clarence Frogman's Henry Ain't Got No Home in this set. And what is the R&B cover that Thunder sang? Because as odd as it is to think about, there was a couple of songs where Johansson either left the stage or just played a little percussion because Syl sang the Clarence Frogman Henry song, as I said, Ain't Got No Home, 
and Thunders sang Chatterbox, but Thunders also sang a rhythm and blues cover. Daddy Rolling Stone from his solo thing. Well, it was in, it's a chestnut. It's not anything he wrote, but yeah. So the replacements didn't have that R&B thing. Most of the bands I like have what I call the R&B thing. Um, Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes gave a nice performance of Sam and Dave's Broke Down Piece of Man. That's the kind of song that dolls would know. But of course, as well as Southside and the guys did it, Alan Tong, as well as they did it, nothing's as good as the original by Sam and Dave. I saw them live. I saw the dolls live. I saw their placements live. I saw every act on the show tonight live. That's the theme. But I'll tell you what, man, Sam and Dave, oh my God. Dave right there at the end, and coming in on Broke Down was Sam Moore on top. Dave Prater, Sam Moore. They used to have knife fights in the dressing room. Don and Phil Everly didn't get along. We all know that. Don't get along, I suppose. We all know Ray and Dave Davis of the Kinks don't get along. But my friends, 
not getting along. You look that up in the dictionary, animosity, look up that word. There's a picture of Sam Moore and Dave Prater. Oh, yeah. Don't get along, I'll say. What happened was, how can someone my age have seen them? I didn't see them back in the day, although I saw them some time ago. What happened was the Blues Brothers film came out, and uh, Sam had been going out with a fake Dave. And I'm told that Dave went out with a fake Sam. But I know Sam Moore went out with an imposter Dave. Anyway, Phil Walden, who later did the Allman Brothers and all that stuff, had originally a uh, booking agency in uh, Georgia. And he, but then he got involved. The Allman Brothers made it millions and millions. Then he got involved in the Jimmy Carter presidential campaign in 76. Phil Walden still had some bucks in 78 or whatever. And as this Blues Brothers thing started to happen, 78, 79. By the way, I'm in the Blues Brothers film in the final crowd scene there at the Hollywood Palladium. I was one of the extras there. I've never quite picked myself out of the audience, but I'm actually in the Blues Brothers movie, the, the original one with John Belushi. Anyway, when they got together, uh, Sam and Dave got together on the strength of their appearance in the Blues Brothers film, and everybody's all excited about Aretha Franklin and James Brown and Cab Calloway and all that kind of thing again. So I went to see them. I guess this is 79, maybe it's 1980. I went to see them, and I was sitting with David Pahoa, and Lou Ramirez, the rhythm section, that's the bassist and drummer, respectively, the Plimsolls, who are also going to be featured on the show. A wonderful L.A. band featuring Peter Case. And Sam and Dave came out, and they'd only broken up in something like 73 or 74. So it's maybe five years of going out with an imposter. Each one of them did this, remember? And now they're back together again. So I went out to see them, and I thought, you know, they'd have young guys in the band, that kind of thing. And they didn't. They had their old drummer. And I remember because he's on the, the same guy was on the cover of Greatest Hits. He's right behind them on the cover of the Greatest Hits where they're wearing medallions and Nehru jackets. And I worshiped that Sam and Dave Greatest Hits record. So I could, and I looked at the horn section. The horn section was a, a couple of guys I recognized and nobody was young. It was amazing. They had their old band with them and they were just, they were brilliant. And if you ever see that footage the Stax Volt review, when, when they come to Europe in 67, look at the show The show that shot, I think, Stockholm. It's unbelievable. As great as Otis Redding is, as great as Eddie Floyd is, and as brilliant as Booker T and the MGs are, the, the highlight of the show is clearly Sam and Dave. Unbelievable live performers. Two guys, either one can move and dance better than, say, Jagger or Rod Stewart. And I think either one's a better singer than the guys I've just mentioned. Unbelievable live act. Next up is a friend of theirs, also a Deep South soul singer, Fame Studios, Atlantic Records, same kind of thing. He would have known them and toured with them and done many, 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 many gigs. I saw him play a couple times. The first time I saw this guy play was Down Under. It was in Australia. I was in a tour of Australia in May of 1992. I went down there with a friend from Liverpool backing me up, just the two of us, a duet kind of thing. And my Liverpudlian friend, we went and saw these guys, went and saw this man. He'd just been in a, uh, involved in a film called The Commitments. So we went and saw this guy. And in my opinion, he was brilliant. And when we came out of the theater, I was just, I couldn't speak. I was walking to the car in Australia. I couldn't speak. It was so mind-blowing. And my friend who grew up on Liverpudlian indie bands like the Lightning Seeds, so on and so forth, he was kind of quiet for a while. The Laws. He was kind of quiet for a while and he goes, I thought that was shite, mate. And I, I was already speechless and now I was almost gasping for breath. There was only one Wicked Picket and this is one of the best things he ever did, a cover of the Great New Orleans classic, 
Land of a Thousand Dances. This is for you, Wilson Pickett, buried in my hometown of Louisville, Kentucky. He wasn't from Louisville, but he wanted to be buried next to his mama. One, two, three. One, two, three. Screamer in pop music. Howlin' Wolf was good. Little Richard was good. John Lennon wasn't bad, but nobody screamed like the Wicked Picket, the great Wilson Picket. Yes, he's buried in my hometown of Louisville, Kentucky, and it's a true story. He has no connection to Louisville, none. His, well, a very small one. His mother remarried, and he wanted to be, she remarried a Kentuckian, so she, he wanted to be buried next to his mama when he died. So his mom had, was deceased and she was buried next somewhere near her new man in Louisville, Kentucky, where he was from. So the wicked picket. I visited his grave about it was last August. I went and visited his grave in Louisville. I hadn't seen it yet. And uh, it's a very moving thing to see the wicked picket's grave. And he was unbelievable live when I saw him. Unbelievable. He looked the same. He moved great. Well, he didn't look the same. He had a bit of a pot belly. But he was just. He moved, he grooved, he got the audience on its feet. He worked like a dog. Uh, he knew he had a second win because of this Commitments film. He involved us all. They screamed for him more and more and more. You know, six, three, four, five, seven, eight, nine. you know, uh, in the midnight hour, I found a love. I mean, it was just unbelievable. The greatest, tearing it up straight from the gospel straight from the pulpit, this performance. They just changed the word God to woman, and man, he tore it up. 
Another band that I saw back in the day uh, who, like the New York Dolls, are a big legend now, and who, like the New York Dolls, are considered a key stepping stone on the way to punk rock music, are the MC5. I saw the MC5 in 1971, and I've been away from home so long, I think the South Park, the South Central Park I want in Louisville is called Iroquois Park, where they had a sort of an open-air bowl and they had concerts, but I admit I've been away from home so long. All our public parks in Louisville were named after uh, Cherokee Park, Iroquois Park, Shawnee Park. They were named after Indian tribes. And I think it was Iroquois Park where this gig was, but it was in South Central Louisville, down towards, uh, you know, Pleasure Ridge Park High School and that kind of thing. Well, you don't know. You're thinking, what's Pleasure Ridge Park High School? Who cares, Sid? Anyway, that's where the gig was. Long John Baldry. He was either on that bill or he played the same gig around the same time because I saw him there and I saw Poco there. I was just a kid. The MC5 came out and they were, as I've said in an earlier podcast, uh, they were brilliant. They, uh, To me, Rob Tyner, the lead singer, because he was a bit chubby, he was sort of doing this Jagger James Brown thing. And it, it made it kind of silly in a way. He, he, he They needed a thinner guy to be blunt. He looked like Mark Volman of the Turtles, Boogie Woogie, and it was just kind of weird. But the guitar playing from Wayne Kramer was astounding. The rhythm section with Wayne Kramer playing guitar and Fred Sonic Smith, they were doing choreographied moves. I mean, you just never seen anything like uh, like this. They were doing James Brown band moves, the, the four-piece backing band. And it just, it was incredible to see. Yet they were playing this sort of R&B Rolling Stones kind of thing, sort of like what the Stones and the Dolls and the Pretty Things did, that kind of band. And they were just, it was just something. Anyway, here's here's the late Fred Smith singing. Yes, he's, they got uh, only three of the MC5 left, which is why the, the reunion shows a few years ago here in London were known as the MC3. Fred Sonic Smith, of course, married Patti Smith, so Patti Smith didn't have to change her last name. No, no, they were in love, but it's interesting. Someone named Smith marrying someone named Smith. Talk about a rock and roll couple. Fred Smith and Patti Smith, that's a rock and roll couple. This is a rare version of Shaken Street. It's got the acoustic guitar way up in the mix, and Fred takes the lead vocal. You'll understand the whole thing's different. And uh, wherever you are, Fred, brother, this this is for you. This has got a lyrical style that you can... I'm sure Springsteen owned this record. You know the second, it's called Back in the USA, the album. You know Springsteen had it because the lyrical content of this song. Listen to the way the characters are named and introduced. You know the Ramones had a copy of it and that the Damned had a copy of it. And God knows Sid Griffin had a copy of it after he saw that show. Shaking Street, it's got that beat. Shaking Street, where all the 
street in every American town. And if there isn't, they have one pretty soon. I can hear the Ramones version of Needles and Pins coming right out of that. Good for you, Fred. Good for you, Fred. You know, the USA's got a lot of good local bands. You all have, you folks listening here in Europe or Asia or South America or Africa or Antarctica have never heard of. That's just the way it is. One of the things about the States that I, I, I've said many, many times is our bands don't look as cool. They don't have a theme. Uh, American guys don't get together, or American gals and guys don't get together and say, we're going to have a band that does this kind of thing only, and we're going to dress only in this, that, and this. When I saw the white stripes, I thought, well, here's an exception to the rule, their whole idea of dressing in, in just sort of red and white. And the two-piece thing, sticking with the sort of almost an early Led Zepp R&B uh, Sunhouse template. You don't have that very often in the States. Uh, American bands walk on stage that look like the road crew, whereas a, certainly a British band would, would walk on stage with a lot more visual style. But the Septic Tank Yank sure can play. And here's a local band that's more of a, not a local band, they're a regional band. They're like NRBQ. Everyone in America that's hip to the beat, Daddy O, loves them to pieces, but outside of the States. In fact, maybe outside of Central. United States, New York, Boston, they're not no, very well known even by the hipsters, but they should be. D. Clinton Thompson, one of the greatest guitar players ever to pick up a guitar, the uh, James Burton of indie rock is on lead guitar. Uh, they're uh, so much going for them. The uh, keyboard player was in the Swingin' Medallions, who did Double Shot of My Baby's Love, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Lou Whitney says he wasn't on the record, he's just in the touring band. They've got a number of terrific songs, the keystone of any, any act, but unlike a lot of the European acts, these guys can really, really play. Oh, they may look like they're here to bring you your pizza, but they can really play. Damn. 
thing Detroit made till the Japanese showed us small is beautiful. You know, it's that kind of thing that got like 9 or 12 miles to the gallon. And of course, now you want to have a car that gets 36 miles to the gallon as well. You might with the price of petrol these days. Anyway, that's the Skeletons. They're from Springfield, Missouri. That's in the Ozark Mountains in, I believe, southwestern Missouri. Well, that's where the Ozarks are. Springfield, Missouri, as uh, Lou Whitney, the keyboard player of the Skeletons, always reminds me, is the recording capital of Greene County. <laughs> anyway, going back to the tent, the uh, the ping pong and back and forth between rock and roll bands and how much they've gotten from the church, how much they've gotten from R and B. This is uh, an act that I've talked about with the Skeletons and NRBQ and so many guys. You can't get away from this guy. Even Kraftwerk were influenced by this guy. And in future shows, we'll play long, groovy, funky tracks from this guy. But right now, let me just have the pride of Augusta GA tell you a little tale that you ought to listen to and adhere to and get right with. Do you understand me? Take it, James. Hi, this is James Brown, soul brother number one, always fighting. Now I'm fighting for your life. I'm fighting for your life because if you use drugs, you better leave it alone. Drugs are contagious. They're killers. Every drug is a killer. Stay away from drugs. Drugs will take your life away. And if you want to live, stay away from drugs. Because they are super bad, super bad, super bad, super bad, super bad, super bad. I'll play some more of Soul Brother number one, the godfather of soul. In future shows, I promise. I just love that. One of the great things about working at Rhino Records on Westwood Boulevard was that I, uh, a lot of people from the lot, hundreds of people from the record industry came in and traded in things they didn't want. Hundreds of people from the, the broadcast industries came in and traded in things they didn't want. So some got traded in. This is the very, very early days of CD. The long res had broken up. and CD's only been around like four years. They, they hadn't uh, supplanted vinyl yet. Somebody came in and had a James Brown uh, promotional CD that had public service announcements on it. And I thought, I'll have that. So we'll have some more of Soul Brother Number One, the pride of Augusta, Georgia, and future shows, I promise you. One of his associates is a guy I really like named Albert King. Now, the blues world's kind of crazy because everyone's heard of B.B. King. I think even my parents, rest their souls, have heard of B.B. King. And you got Albert King. And you got Freddie King, all three blues guitar players. Then you get a little deep, deeper and go to New Orleans, there's a great guitar player named Earl King. Tom Waits is always banging on about Earl King. 
So you got four guitar players, African-American guitar players, all talented, all named King. None of them related to each other. And Albert King kind of blows my mind because the first time I went to see him was back in Kentucky in 1974. And he, he was a short, chubby guy then. He was pretty tubby towards the end of his life. And he was famous for, he played a Gibson Flying V and he had the shoulder strap over the wrong shoulder. He wore the shoulder strap like Bill Monroe of the Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys, right? Wore his mandolin. That kind of he had the wrong. He didn't have the shoulder strap over the far shoulder. He had it over the near shoulder. So in theory, if he leaned to that side, the Gibson Flying V would just slide off and go to the floor. If you follow me there, I'm sure the guitar players do. And I've learned later probably where he got that idea. And I'll talk, talk about that in a minute. But when I saw Albert this first time, besides the fact that the guitar strap was on, if you will, the wrong shoulder, he smoked a pipe during instrumental passages and instrumentals. Now he sang, and he sang very well. But when he wasn't singing, or he knew he wasn't going to sing, you know, the rhythm section would take over, a sax guy would play, or the piano player would take a solo, what have you. He lit his pipe. He stopped playing entirely and lit his pipe. And if they played an instrumental, he'd introduce the instrumental and then put the pipe in his mouth and go one, two, three, and count it off with the pipe in his mouth, bouncing up and down while he counted out the one, two, three, four. Fascinating guy. And the third amazing thing about seeing him live was is he's introduced, he comes on stage, and there's a lot of, of the older African-American crowd in the audience that they had these great blues shows in Louisville, which I'll get into sometime. Fabulous blues show blue shows, at least monthly, and uh, reviews. And so I went to all these things. And anyway, there were a lot of young, white, long hairs there to look at the guitar players, uh, to look at uh, Mike Bloomfield, because they had the Paul Butterfield blue, Blues Band come, to look at uh, Elvin Bishop, to look at Albert King, to look at B.B. King, so on and so forth, to look at uh, uh, Hubert Sumlin, who came with Howlin' Wolf. We saw, I saw that show. But mostly these gigs were played to an elder African, an older African-American audience, a demographic that remembered when these songs were hits in the 40s and 50s, before the late 50s and early 60s when soul came into the picture and pushed bluesier R&Bs kind of out the window. So Albert King's coming on stage. And the third great thing I remember was an, Afri an old African-American guy behind me turned to his wife and said, Esmeralda you got to see Albert play. And she's like, I've been looking forward to seeing Albert play. And he says, Esmeralda, Albert King sweats more than a professional athlete. you got to look at this guy. He perspires like a basketball player. And I thought, what? And sure enough, Albert King comes on stage and he's, you know, like, how you doing, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you very much. And he goes, doo -doo -doo and he's already, he's just, the perspiration was coming off of him in sheets. You could have taken a shower with the guy. Or near the guy, should I say? No, no, not like it is. No, no, not like it is. When I spoke to you and said, How do you do? It didn't mean I wanted to marry you. You told your friends this was the real thing. Now they're asking to see the wedding ring. Had you told it like it was? Had you told it like it was Yeah, yeah Had you told it like it was It wouldn't be like it is No, no, not like it is No, no, not like it is 
my telephone rang The day about noon It was your mother Asking about a wedding in June But when I finished talking She was mad as could be Because I told her to forget it She never bossed me Had you told it like it was Had you told it like it was Yeah, yeah Had you told it like it was It wouldn't be like it is No, no, not like it is You sure took me for granted And that isn't right at all I hope you understand now You're up to some kind of It's much too late to start talking too fast Cause you know your dream world is in the past It's over now and it's plain to see I ain't got you, you ain't got me Had you told it like it was Yeah, yeah Had you told it like it was Yeah, yeah Had you told it like it was It wouldn't be like it is You sure took me for granted And that isn't right at all I hope you understand now You're up to some big wall It's much too late to stop talking too fast Cause you know your dream world is in the past It's all over now and it's plain to see You ain't got me Had you told it like it was Yeah, yeah Had you told it like it was Yeah, yeah Had you told it like it was It wouldn't be like it is no, no. I hear Bobby Blue Bland Had you told it like it was It wouldn't be like it is And a Ray Charles influence Like he was on Atlantic Or Duke Peacock Duke hyphen Peacock, that's a label. Very Bobby Blue Bland with a Ray Charles backing. And Albert's great guitar. I mean, I love Albert King. I'll play some instrumentals further on down the line. I was talking about how Albert King had his guitar strap on a different shoulder. And I think I mentioned once that uh, my friend Mike Compton was hanging out with Bill Monroe on tour. And he's learning Monroe songs on the bus after, before and after the shows. And he said on I-95, which is, goes up and down, the, it's the backbone of the East Coast. It goes from uh, Maine to Boston to New York City, down through New Jersey to, uh, you know, Baltimore, Richmond, Virginia, heading south towards Atlanta, blah, blah, blah. They're on I-95 somewhere in New Jersey. It's like four in the morning. And the Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys gets off. Now, remember, Bill Monroe wears his strap on the right shoulder. He's right-handed when he plays the mandolin, right? So he's got the strap on the right shoulder. Literally the right shoulder. If you're a guitar player, it'd be in your left shoulder. So he goes out, Compton goes out, and he sees in the distance of this near-empty car park because they parked the bus way, way away from the building so it's easier to park. And uh, he's walking through the car park, and he sees Monroe, who's about 6'3", a little over 6'3", in his blue suit and tie with a white shirt and a white cowboy hat, talking to a much shorter, maybe 5'7", African-American guy who's tubby, who's wearing a similarly colored suit, but it's a leisure suit, a powder blue leisure suit with a white shirt. And the African-American dude is, is puffing on his pipe and he has a white cowboy hat on too. So Compton looks up and sees these two guys. They're both talking to each other, both wearing powder blue suits, both in uh, 
white cowboy hats with cowboy boots, both wearing cowboy boots. And he gets up to him and looks at Monroe. And Monroe, Monroe looks up and says, Mike, I want you to meet my friend Albert King. And I've often wondered, because Monroe loved rhythm and blues, loved blues, loved it. Did Bill Monroe, or did, rather, did Albert King get the weird idea of wearing your strap on the wrong shoulder, if you'll allow me to use the word wrong here, did he get that from Bill Monroe? Or did Monroe somehow maybe tell him that's where you should put it? It's, it's, it's better for some reason. We'll never know, but the two men were, were old chums. Compton listened to the conversation. He said they were old chums and knew each other's music and had a great conversation and were chatting away. And I thought, maybe there is something to that. I'll never know, but I know this. This next cat is Bill Monroe. Listen to how nervous he makes this DJ. Uh, Blue Moon of Kentucky, another one of the all-time greats. Uh, song about your home state, Bill. That's right. Yes. Uh, how long? Do you remember how long ago that you wrote that song? What year would that be? I believe that was the late 40s when I started on the, writing that song. Yeah, it's become uh, one of the all-time uh, country standards. I guess a lot of people in the business have recorded and sung that song. I believe there's been around 35 or 40 different uh, stars that's recorded it. That's something, eh? It's, uh, it's a great song, too. Um, we always like to uh, get you to do uh, an instrumental tune whenever we uh, are able to get you to do anything uh, and uh, that's not often enough i'll say right now we'd like to be able to get you on here just every week be so great to have you around but uh what are we going to do for an instrumental tune well, i believe we should call on bob black he uh, he plays the banjo and he's a good banjo player and i would like to see bob what would you like to do for the folks dear old dixie
love that. That's Dear Old Dixie by Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys, the old bluegrass war horse, John Breeze of the Cold Porters, the band I'm in. Da -da -da -da. He turned me on to that song. It's a fantastic song. I love playing it. Monroe was not a great person to interview. He would make... His answers were sort of monotonic, and he'd get away with a yes, sir, or a no, sir, if he could. He was polite, but he wasn't ever expansive. And you can hear that DJ struggling to get a decent interview out of him. It's from a Canadian radio. It's from a CD that was released from some Canadian uh, radio station uh, who, cleverly enough, didn't... Uh, I don't think they even put their name on the thing, but... Uh, but uh, he really makes that Canadian DJ nervous. I mean, he wasn't impolite, Monroe. He was just reserved to the nth degree. We're looking forward to kind of winding this one up. Years ago, five years ago, I was somewhere looking at a band and this guy tapped me on the shoulder. It was the great Jeff Travis. For those of you that don't know Jeff Travis, he's the guy that founded Rough Trade. The whole Rough Trade thing is his trip. Uh, I believe the shops were his idea, and certainly the record label was his idea. And through that, you got the Smiths and the Cranberries and the, the Vises and the Vats, and my English friends will know more of the history of Rough Trade than I will. Right now, Rough Trade's making a comeback as a retail shop, and more power to them. Anyway, Jeff Trade's... Jeff... Jeff Trade... Jeff Travis has made his uh, mark on the uh, music industry many times over. He's a very, very nice man, very erudite guy. Very sensitive guy. He's an honest guy. Everyone likes dealing with him. And we were seeing some band play, and he was telling me about uh, the bands that he liked, and he was managing the Cranberries at the time. And he was telling me about what's the greatest band you've ever seen live, because the act we were actually seeing that night wasn't that hot. And I told him a few bands, and I said, this next band I'm going to play for you all right now, ladies and gentlemen, is, without exception, the greatest band, the greatest music act I've ever seen in my life. Now, everyone on tonight's show I've seen be it The Dolls, The Replacements, Sam and Dave, Wilson Pickett, The MC5, The Skeletons, James Brown, Albert King, Bill Monroe, The Bluegrass Boys. I've seen all these acts live. In fact, looking at the list, other than The MC5, I think I've seen them all at least twice. But this next band is the best live band I've ever seen in my life. The best act I've ever seen play music in my life of anybody. Anybody including, say, the Rolling Stones or the Who. I never saw the Beatles, and I never saw Elvis, but I saw Jerry Lee Lewis, saw Chuck Berry, saw Little Richard, blah, 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 blah. Saw many, many, many country and Western people like George Jones, uh, Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys. But nobody, no act I ever saw, no, not, I was going to qualify it and say it's certainly no guitar band, but no act I ever saw tore it up like these guys. This isn't even their best song, but this is how they used to start their shows. This is from an album called Beach Town Confidential on a live record. It's part of the Bomp uh, music empire out there in California. This is my dear friend Peter Case on guitar, my buddy uh, Eddie Munoz from uh, Texas on lead guitar. Lou Ramirez on drums. Where are you, Lou? Where have you gone? And Ed uh, and, and David Pahoa, known as the Angry Pahoan on bass. Ladies and gentlemen, the pride of L.A. from uh, Paramount, California, as they used to be introduced. Ladies and gentlemen, from Paramount, California, the Plimsolls. I was at this show, by the way. In the green light, across the city, the alarm goes off. 
Live from the Golden Bear in Huntington Beach, California, 1982-1983. The Golden Bear was just a short walk from the beach. From the beach, a short walk from the Pacific Ocean, of course. But funny enough, the Pacific Ocean has a beach, Sid. God, they were good. That's me. That's me cheering, not me announcing the band. That's me cheering somewhere. I was there at the Golden Bear. The Golden Bear was run by the Papadopoulos family. And their daughter... Married one of the birds. You can't, and she's still married to one of the birds. Top that for a rock and roll story. The Plimsolls, like the New York Dolls, and like the MC5, and like the Skeletons, used to shake it down a lot of the time and do a uh, a rhythm and blues soul classic from the 60s or whatever. And let me look on their Live at the Golden Bear CD, which I've pulled out, and see if there's a rhythm and blues cover on it. No, there's Making Time, they do a cover of by The Creation, there's Fall On You, they do a cover of, which is a Moby Grape song. Yes, there is. Here's an R&B song they did. They do Jump, Jive, and Harmonize, which is by uh, the Midnighters, as I recall. Isn't it by the Midnighters, my L.A. friends? I believe it is. East L.A.'s the Midnighters, the uh, great Latino band. I do, I do believe it is. And they do a cover of Jumping in the Night by the Groovies. And they do Bo Diddley's You Can't Judge a Book. So yeah, they got the R&B thing going there. But I used to see them, they'd do uh, I Can't Turn You Loose by Otis Redding and whatever, so on and so forth. You don't need to know the Plimsolls back catalog. Peter Case is still out there now as a great solo troubadour kind of guy. And we wish him well. He does an acoustic guitar thing. He is in a C tuning, a C for California, C for Case. Another guy that does some weird tunings that Peter Case I'm sure is a big, big fan of. It's the late John Fahey. I just saw a uh, documentary on, on BBC4 about John Fahey. Very, very moving. And everyone's going to say, what's the name of the documentary, Sid? And I'm going to say, I can't remember. I'm having a senior moment. But Fahey is pronounced F-A-H-E-Y. It's not pronounced, Sid. That's spelling. 
F-A-H-E-Y, and his name is John with an H. So you've got nine letters you figured out. Google it. John Fahey. I don't remember the name of the documentary that I saw on the BBC. It's great. Uh, Fahey, I think now he'd be diagnosed as bipolar. Incredibly creative, incredibly talented, incredibly unique. Um, And towards the end of his life, when I used to see him at places like McCabe's, he was drinking a lot on stage and and way out of shape and way uh, fat. Just, you know, going past corpulence, getting on, you're going to get obese, buddy. Very sad. But... um, he formed his own record label in the 50s, Tacoma Records, named after Tacoma Park, Maryland. And he kept going. Uh, he even got to Warner Brothers 10, 10 or 15 years later after he formed his own uh, record label. He made it to Warner Brothers and he went back to C- Tacoma, sold Tacoma. But the point of John Fay is he was a solo acoustic guitar player. He was managed by my dear friend Lenny Bruce. How hip is that, Lenny Bruce? It's Denny Bruce. I'm making a lot of mistakes tonight, but we're not going to go back and do this again. Denny Bruce. And Denny Bruce also managed Magic Sam, another one of my great guitar heroes. How cool is that to meet this manager and become friends with him? Fahey, going back to the guy, the great man himself, was mainly just a solo guitar guy doing like a Skip James or a Sun House solo acoustic bluesy thing in modern terms. If you don't know who Sun House is, S-O-N House, or Skip James, you ought to check him out. I bet they're all over YouTube. Fahey put out way back in the 60s, then followed it up about eight or 10 years later, a Christmas album. And this is a song from The New Possibility, colon, John Fahey's Soli Christmas album. And then it's now on a CD on Tacoma Records, although he doesn't own it and he's deceased, called The New Possibility, John Fahey's Guitar Soli Christmas album, forward slash Christmas with with John Fahey II. That's a mouthful. Are you people still paying attention? The point of the story is, like Junior Wells' Hoodoo Man Blues record, which I played a couple of podcasts ago, that came out in 65. Now it's alleged through the years to have sold 400,000, maybe even 500,000 copies. I, it's, it's either gone gold or it's going to go gold, right? Fahey lived off this Christmas record more than anything else he did because his renditions of these carols and, his, and, and songs, their original songs, were so beautiful and so well put together. It's now considered, although the uh, we don't have the statistics, because Tacoma Records is like my Prima Records label, an incredibly informal thing. And it just sold and sold and sold. But this has sold hundreds of thousands of copies, this record, as well it might. It is my favorite Christmas record, even more than the Phil Spector's A Christmas Gift for You album on Phillies, on Spector. Uh, it's my favorite Christmas album of all time. This is the late John Fahey, all by his lonesome, doing an atypical version of the first Noel. And by that, I mean for himself, because normally he really got out there. And this one, he sticks pretty much to the melody. But wherever John Fahey is, I hope he's smiling, because I smile every time I hear this one. And I hope everyone has a very merry holiday season.
favorite John Fahey album is called Of Rivers and Religion. Remember that. It's on Warner Brothers from 1972, Of Rivers and Religion. I think Denny Bruce, the aforementioned Denny Bruce, produced it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Sid Griffin. You've been listening to the first podcast in a while now. We tried to do a regular thing. We got away from it. We'll try and bring it back to you. I want to mention to everybody that the Sid Griffin solo stuff, the Cole Porter, C-O-A-L stuff, I mean music, and the Longwriters music is all back on Spotify and iTunes now. Yes, if you go on iTunes before Christmas, you can download for your to your heart's content all the old Longwriters stuff, all the Cole Porter stuff, my two or three humble solo albums, because they're back on iTunes, meaning they're back on Amazon, they're back on Spotify. You can check them out, download them, I hope that you do. We're very pleased that they're back up in cyberspace. I want to thank Sonia, the ever ever groovy Sonia, for kicking off the show. I want to thank Kevin Stokes for engineering one more time, the great guitar player from Souther Still, a great band here in the London area, Souther Still. Check them out. In fact, check them out on YouTube and iTunes, as long as you're looking at Cold Porter stuff. Thank you all so very much. I hope you have a very merry holiday season, no matter what your religious affiliation is, even if you don't have a religion. There's a bunch of them out there to choose from. Thank you all so much. A very Merry Christmas to all. Happy Hanukkah. Blah, blah, blah. And to all, a good night. Bye-bye.